Good morning. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. In January, in about a two-week time period, I lost an old family friend who was uh, like a second father to me. He was um, the reason I still speak to my father today. He brought us back together um, after about five years of separation. He did that only about a year and a half ago. He meant a lot. He was a father of six, just like uh, my father was, and he was very close. On the day of his memorial was the day that my sister passed away. And then uh, later on that week, the young lady who was a very close friend of mine who introduced my wife and I, her father passed away. So we had a pretty somber month in the deep and dark of winter. But at my sister's memorial, there was a pastor who came up and said most of the people there weren't Christian, and if they were, they um, took him in name only and did not take his clothes or his bread, as the scriptures say. But he said, I can have all of you become, I don't know if you use these words, but Bible scholars. You can all begin to memorize scripture today. He said, we're going to start with one verse. It was, as all school children who know the Bible know, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. The Bible says that precious in the eyes of the Lord is the passing of his saints. And when Jesus wept, there was very particular. Uh, there was a very particular time when a dear friend of his had recently been sick. I'd like to read to you from that this morning uh, in John eleven. Jesus had already found out about the passing of Lazarus at this point. He had, he had died. He knew that he was sick. And now he goes and he has to meet the sister who is understandably upset and who is maybe not completely happy that Jesus didn't come at the time when she might have expected him. She followed him. She was not just a friend, but she was uh, a form of disciple. And we know that she loved him, but she also loved Lazarus. And so when Jesus arrives in John 11, verse 20, it says, Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. I think, I think it's very easy to be critical of Martha in this moment. I mean, who does she think she's talking to? But I think it's also wise to sympathize with her and maybe even empathize with her position. And yet she doesn't stop there, right? She gives a marvelous testimony, right? She's speaking in a time that was significantly darker than we have today. They didn't have the Bible. The New Testament was being created as is self-evident here. They didn't fully understand. So it says, But I know that even now, Whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me, never shall die. Believest thou this? So I'll ask you this morning, you say you believe God, you believe in God, 
I'm sorry, I said that in reverse. You say you believe in God. Do you believe God? And that is, that is the question I'd like to leave you with today. Do you believe him? That's what he asks right here. Believe you this? And she said unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which shall come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way. Now, I think all of you know the story. Jesus didn't just walk away at that moment. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He didn't expect her just to believe it. He didn't just send the Holy Ghost in this world to confirm things. He knows us. He knows our frame. He made us. He also knows our sorrows. He knows the hard things we've gone through. What did he do right after that? He proved it. You know the story. Roll the stone away. But Lord, he, he stinks. And he stinketh, as they said in King James. He's going he's gonna to smell at this point. So roll the stone away. He rolled the stone away. And he called Lazarus back from the dead. He proved he is the resurrection and the life at that very minute. Right? But we've seen examples like this in other places in scripture. You may remember earlier on in Jesus' gospel story when he was in a house that was full and there was a cripple that was brought in and his friends loved him so much they opened the roof for him. They took off the tiles that would have uh, blocked the weather away from the roof and they lowered their friend down on ropes to drop down right in the middle of things. Now, that is true love. I think that that would be very difficult for me to bring myself to do. That would be very, very embarrassing and, and running a heavy risk But they believed that Jesus could give him healing, whatever amount of scrutiny could come to pass. But Jesus does better than that, right? Jesus saw their faith and said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. But then the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your heart? Whither is easier, to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk? Now all throughout the history of man, we've known that men have come up with different ways to exonerate ourselves from guilt and sin and shame and fear. Whether they be the most modern form of drug use and abuse, or the idols of old, or that strange blending that we've seen the Catholic Church sometimes fall into, and many other religions where they can find different ways that you can pay off your sin. It's easy for me to say to you, good job, guys, you all showed up today, all your sins are forgiven. For who can prove that? Can you tell me if I'm right or wrong? It's easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, than to say, rise up and walk, isn't it? I would say so. Then Jesus says, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. And he said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy couch, and go into thine house. And immediately he rose up before them and took up that whereon he lay and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And to this day, that story glorifies God and shows forth the power of God to forgive sin. And now we've seen God prove on earth physically for you and I, for those present, that he has power over death and he has power over sin. You say you believe in God. Do you believe him? But there's more than that in the scriptures. There are countless promises hiding, right? Gold is not found loose in the dirt in in a ring or in a necklace or in a bar. It's found by digging through dirt and finding little itty bitty particles that are mixed in and then shifted out after much work. And you have to dig and you have to dig and you have to dig. Well, I can tell you the scriptures has no dirt whatsoever. 
but it has much gold. But it is work. It is work to search through and find some of those promises that don't just affect your life or death or your state of sin before God and man. But there's much more than that, right? We're all gathered here today in honor of God to both obey him and also to respect those traditions that started in that first century when they gathered together on the first day of the week to talk about Jesus and what he had done on that day. But there's a really, really old promise that God lays forth in Isaiah. He says, if thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath day a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words, then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord. And I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Do we believe him? And I think now the tables are turned, aren't they? Because it's not a question of whether we just say we believe him. It's much more a matter of action. I'll leave you with this. That God doesn't just make promises about life and death, those highest things that we uh, aspire to consider and aspire to number our days and take as of great importance. He also promises us that if we carry ourselves in a particular way on a particular day, that there are promises waiting. And this isn't a matter of law. It's a matter of principle. It's a matter of this is the way that God himself designed you, that there are blessings waiting for you. The money is not the most important thing in, in the world, but if you need it, it's right up there with oxygen, right? And so God has a lot to say about that. But it's not just about whether you're spending it in the right place and doing the right things with it, if you're gaining it in the right way, right? It's about remembering first where it comes from, where everything comes from. And this doesn't have as much to do with law because we are not under the ancient Jewish law, but the ancient Jewish law has countless promises to point you towards Christ, not just in these highest matters, but also in the day-to-day. And the Proverbs, it says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. But why? So shall you be free from sin. That's not what it says. No, it says, So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. That's a difficult thing to to really put your head around because most of us are not farmers. Not all of us, but most of us are not farmers. Most of us don't have to deal with the yearly uh, increase of you plant your seeds and you're basically at the whims of the weather and of wild things and of marauders and a great many other things, right? And then also to have the opportunity to plant grapes as well and to hope that both your harvest and your wines are successful. And then the wine has to go through an additional process, right? Wine is a form of prosperity. But for you to have new wine means you've had not just a successful year, but all that you've done has been continually successful, right? And then to be able to have it's a sign of continued growth, continued prosperity. I think it's self-evident in the scriptures that God loves us, truly does, and that he gives us advice for every aspect of our lives. But it's not just a matter of advice. He's telling us how the world works, right? If I drop this glass, it will fall and it will shatter, right? Maybe it'll bounce the first time. I could do it again, though, just to make sure, right? Because gravity has an effect. And God is telling us these things not because he needs to make sure we're kept in line like some uh, formal tyrant and dictator, but rather because he loves you and you need to know how the world works. Because God showed forth this himself, right? What was his first fruit? It was Jesus. 
So he's not asking for anything that he knows works. And he's shown you works. He gave his firstborn son for us. But why? It's an investment, Jesus himself says, for the glory set before him. Jesus said he laid down his life for the glory set before him. Because he knows this, this is the way that existence itself works. So don't just believe in God, but believe God. Thank you for your time. Appreciate what Brother John has brought forth and desire and interest in your prayers. The time that we stand before you this evening, I mentioned this verse on Wednesday night. We're going to look a little bit more in detail at it. And there are folks here that weren't here Wednesday night. Plus, there's uh, uh, going to mention a little bit more. Uh, might just be my personality or it might be that because I'm... Uh, uh, a male, but I like to fix things. Now, I'm not good at fixing cars. I'm not good at repairing uh, much on the house. I can do a little bit of painting and a few things like that and trim the yard. But uh, when there's problems that come my way, I like to fix them. And I, I give the Lord the credit for any abilities to be able to fix problems. I'll share one with you that just came up last week. My sister and I both had tickets to go see our father and to be at church in New Mexico last week. And at the last uh, minute, uh, she's been going through a series of doctor appointments. The doctor called and changed her appointment. And it looked like that there was no way that she was going to be able to make that appointment and be able to make her flight. And it looked like she was going to have to cancel it. And it was going to cost $600 to change one flight uh, to, for her to be able to go. And she really hadn't seen our father in a while and wanted to get to go and see him. And uh, she said, I'm going to call the doctor's office and talk to him. And I said, well, it's the same doctor that I use. I said, uh, I, I generally have more success if I go in person. I said, I, I'd recommend that maybe you just go in person and talk to him and explain the situation to him and see if they can't uh, uh, change it and make it happen. And she said, well, why don't you go with me? I said, okay. I'll go with you. Well, when we went to White Marsh and I went up the elevator to the second floor, I didn't tell her this, but I prayed before we went into the uh, waiting room for the doctor uh, where the the lady uh, takes the the request. And she went up to the lady and she told the lady and and said, I'd like to change my appointment to the following week. Is there any way that I can do that? She said, no, you, you, you must keep this appointment or you'll have to schedule it a month out that he's booked up a month in advance. And I could tell that she was not of the right spirit to be able to uh, be willing to consider to help us. And I remember someone saying a long time ago said, uh, never accept a no from someone that doesn't have the authority to give you a yes. That just simply means you kind of move up the ladder until you find somebody that can give you uh, possibly a yes. And while you're doing that, you pray each step of the way, each rung of the ladder as you're going up the ladder. But interestingly, after this reception was receptionist was so dogmatic in her position. Interestingly, the doctor walked by. He came out and by the way, he listens to Elder Bradley on the radio. And so we always have something to talk about. And he came out and and spoke to us out in the lobby. And I said, uh, Dr. Kelly, here's our situation. Is there any way that you would be able to reschedule my sister's appointment? He said, sure. No problem. I could see the receptionist just fuming as he was willing to make this concession for us. 
personally, I like to fix things. And then I like to take them off the plate and not address them again. That's just maybe my personality. I don't like to dwell on them. I don't like to ponder them. Sometimes when I'm faced with a situation, I'll take out a piece of paper and I'll list maybe some different scenarios of ways that I can fix a problem. And I pray that God will bless me to be able to do that. But have you ever had a situation that you just couldn't fix it? You couldn't do it yourself. And it didn't look like that God had given direction or opened a door for you to fix the problem. Well, I was reading this and I've mentioned it before and uh, years ago, but uh, I'll mention it again. The first time I read this chapter and remember reading this verse, it just absolutely jumped off the page to me. I thought, I know it's there for me, whether it is anybody else or not. I know that this verse is there for me. And, you know, I found out that it's there for other folks as well. There's a story in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And we'll just real, real quickly go through this. It's, it's, it's rich here with some really good advice. There was a, uh, a leader and he was 35 years old and he was a godly leader. And his name was Jehoshaphat, and uh, he was leading the uh, children of Judah. And it says that a report came to him. Now, I have to tell you, I like good reports. Don't always get good reports. Sometimes the reports aren't good. And, and, and when they're not good, the same response that, uh, that happened to Jehoshaphat here happens to me. When I get a report that's not good, it says fear kicks in. That ever happened to you? Yeah. You get a report, and maybe you don't get the entire report, and fear kicks in. And then, right after fear, I don't know about you, but some of our vain imaginations kick in. You think, well, it could be this, or it could be that, or it could be even worse than that. And I found out that oftentimes it's not quite as bad as what I imagined that it could be. But here, Jehoshaphat had a report that the uh, Moabites and the Ammonites were uh, uh, coming up against them in battle and he said they're bigger than we are. Can I tell you right now that Satan is bigger than you are by yourself? He's bigger than you are. So if we're only standing in our own strength, we have a, a right to be fearful. But here it says that when he got this report, the first thing that he did is that he called the people together and he prayed. And that's good for all of us to do. Anytime that we get a report or we hear a report that's not good, the first thing that we do is that we go to the Lord in prayer. But it says that he called the people together and he also encouraged the people and he proclaimed a fast. He said, I want you to pray and I want you to fast. And, and, and look what it says. He goes down and, and then, and, and, and I encourage you to go home and read Second Chronicles chapter 20. He goes on down and then as he's praying and he's talking to the congregation, he is reminding the congregation. He says, just like Brother John reminded us just a few minutes ago, Lord, I know that you have all power. Lord, I know that you have your kingdom. 
Lord, I know that you have it for your glory and for your praise. And I realize that you had these things in place and that you're holding them up and you're keeping them up. But he said, Lord, I'm afraid. Anybody here ever been afraid? I'm so glad most of you haven't been. I've been afraid enough for two or three folks. Look at what happens as he gets down. Lord. Some folks say, well, if you're afraid, if you're fearful, then you don't have faith. It comes down and it says, um, um, the report kept coming to Jehoshaphat. And he said, the, their army is larger than our army. Well, that's something to be afraid about, isn't it? Their soldiers are more trained than our soldiers are. They've got more ammunition. They know how to use it better than what we know how to do. And Jehoshaphat, it says, was fearful. And then he says in verse 12, and we'll get down to the the thrust of the verse that we have. Jehoshaphat is is crying to the Lord as the leader. And he says, oh, our God, wilt thou not judge them? I'll tell you, I, I, I get a lot of consolation in knowing that God is on the throne and that God sees what's happening. You know, that's why I don't get overly discouraged in the country in which we live in. God's in control. He is. And God knows how to judge the wicked. And you know what? He doesn't need my help. He's plenty capable of doing it himself. Look what he says. Oh, our God, wilt thou not judge them? Talking about the enemy. He says, for we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Do you ever feel like you're in a helpless state? Do you ever feel that the problem is bigger than you are? Do you ever feel that you can't fix it? That you don't have the answers to fix it and make it right? That's what Jehoshaphat is saying right there. He says, Lord, this problem is bigger than I am. This enemy is bigger than I am. I don't have what it takes to fix it. He says, this great company cometh up against us. And then look at what he says right here. And this just jumped off the page to me. He says, there's a great company against us. And he says, neither know we what to do. So I thought you were a preacher. You're supposed to always know what to do. Brother Steve, do you always know what to do? Brother Chuck, Brother Asa. How about each of you? Do you ever have a situation? Maybe you don't right now, but you might at some point. But that situation is bigger than you are and you just simply don't know what to do. Well, if you can relate to that, you can relate to Jehoshaphat. He gives us some really good instruction 
when we're in a situation like that. When we can't fix it. When we don't see the answer. When we don't see an end in sight. Let's look at what he says. I mean, he's just being honest right there. He really is. He says, there's a problem. The enemy's bigger than we are. We don't have the might to stand against them. He says, I I just don't know what to do. Look what he says. Right in the middle of not knowing what to do, look what he's doing. He says, neither know we what to do, but he says, but that you see, I'm so glad that there's not a period after what he says, neither know we what to do, period. I'm so glad he doesn't end it right there. He says, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to lead this great people. I don't know what the answer is, but he says, but our eyes, my eyes, their eyes are on thee. I can tell you that when we don't know what to do, in the middle of not knowing what to do, we do know who to look to. We do know where to direct our eyes. We do know where to direct our attention. We do know who to pray to, who to uh, seek direction from. In the middle of not knowing what to do, Jehoshaphat says, I don't know what to do, but I do know one thing. My eyes and the eyes of those that are with me are upon thee. That'll keep you going. That'll help the shoe leather hit the pavement. That'll help you put one foot in front of the other when you feel like that you can't do it. That'll help you keep from pitching in the towel. That'll help you keep from giving up. When you keep your eyes on the Lord. I like gospel singing. I love our hymn singing. I like bluegrass gospel singing. I like uh, country gospel. I like slow gospel, fast gospel. I love gospel singing. I was listening to an interview of uh, Bill and Gaither, Bill and Gloria Gaither. They're, they're about your age, Sister Jerry. And they were giving uh, a testimony, and, and Gloria Gaither said, You know, I've Realized that most of the time that I learned something in my life was when there's, and she titled it, interruptions in her life. She said, that's usually when the Lord teaches me something. Anybody here ever had any interruptions? I mean, really and truly. Has life kind of, has it, has it opened up and, and worked out the way you thought it would? I mean, really, is it what you thought it was going to be? Anybody ever had any interruptions? Jehoshaphat said, I've got an interruption. I don't know what to do about it. I've got an interruption. And I don't know what the answer is. But I do know one thing. My eyes are on the Lord. You could go over and look at, at some examples in uh, the Old Testament in the example of uh, Abraham being called to take his son Isaac and offer his son upon the mount. And as he was journeying up the mount, uh, Abraham 
was faithful and Abraham kept his eyes on the Lord each step of the way. You can go over and read in Luke chapter 15 about the prodigal son. And, and, and I've, I've often preached that about from the standpoint. And I think this is really interesting for us to, to consider right here. When we, when we preach a subject, you can come at it from a variety of different angles. And usually when I preach about the prodigal son, I preach about it from the standpoint of the son. But did you know that there's actually three folks involved there in that story? There's a dad. What was the dad doing while the son was on this journey? There was also, by the way, another brother. And there's a lesson for us to learn about the other brother as well. Here's some things that we can do when when we're seeking... For the Lord to direct us when we, when we don't know what to do. And I'm just going to briefly go through this right here. And then, then we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up with something. One more point that Jehoshaphat says. Here's the first thing that I think that, that we can do when, when we don't know what to do. In Isaiah chapter 40, he says, He, he says, He giveth power to the faint. That means the one that's just about ready to pitch in the towel, that's ready to give up. That the way has gotten so hard, so difficult, that you don't see an end inside. He says, he gives power to the faint. And to them that hath no might, that's us. And to them that hath no might, he increaseth strength. Why does he increase it? Because we stand in need of his increasing our strength. Even the youth shall run, shall even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But here's what he says, and you can underline this, or you can you can write it down. Here's one of the first things that we can do while we while we are in a state that we don't know what to do. He says, "But they that wait on the Lord." If we don't have the answer, we need to pray and look to the Lord. While we're waiting on the Lord. I, I had someone describe this, uh, this verse to me recently. Well, what do they refer to someone that uh, helps you out at a restaurant? A set down restaurant? A server? A waiter. Now, if they're not doing anything, how much tip do they get? Not very much. But if they're serving and working and waiting on you, it generally will affect their tip. I believe the same example right here is for us that while we're waiting on the Lord, we're still serving. We're still doing everything that God enlightens us to do. But we're saying, Lord, I don't have the answer for this, and I'm looking to you in the middle of not having the answer But I know that, Lord, you have the power to hold me up even during this time. Lord may not choose to give you the answer. You've lived almost 80 years, Sister Jerry. Has God always answered everything that you've asked for? God doesn't always answer everything, but he did give you the strength, didn't he? You're here today, and that's evidence of that. God may not... 
give you the answer that you're looking for, but he has promised that he's going to give you the strength to endure it. So he said, first of all, wait on the Lord. The second one is pray to the Lord. As you're waiting and looking to the Lord, pray to the Lord. The third one is uh, uh, study and look at God's word because it's amazing how when you're reading God's word that, that, that something that you're struggling with may just jump out to you and it'll either encourage you in the middle of this journey or it may give you the answer that you're looking for. Another one is, I believe that in uh, Proverbs eleven fourteen it talks about in the multitude of counselors, their safety. I believe it's such a blessing to be able to have our brothers and sisters to counsel with in the midst of challenges that we have along the way. And it's amazing how God may bless you to help somebody else or them to help you in the midst of not knowing what to do. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord. Lean not into thine own understanding. Look to the Lord. Well, there's one more thing that helps. It helps. It helps me, and I pray it will help you as well. Jehoshaphat said, Lord, I don't know what to do. But he says, I do know that my eyes and the eyes of those that are with me are upon thee. And then he comes down and he says one more thing right here. Say, Lord, in this battle that I'm engaged in, I don't know what to do. He was encouraged by the Lord. And it says that basically the spirit of the Lord delivered this message unto Jehoshaphat and all that were around to be an encouragement to him. And, and, and I, I know that it's the desire of Brother Steve and myself to... That when you come to the house of the Lord, that you can come and that you can leave encouraged to serve the Lord and follow the Lord. Well, this message came to Jehoshaphat and it was shared with the congregation. And he said, thus saith the Lord unto you. Now, I tell you when it says, thus saith the Lord, we ought to listen up. When it says, thus saith the Lord, you know, it's right. He says, thus saith the Lord unto you. And and I believe this message is unto you and to I as well. In the day in which we live, with the challenges that we face. Jehoshaphat had acknowledged, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. And he says, thus saith the Lord unto you, be not afraid or dismayed. You know, that's encouraging to tell somebody that's uh, discouraged or that's overcome with fear. You say, how can you encourage somebody that it looks like their problem is so big? It looks like that it's a closed door. It looks like that it's a dead end. How can you encourage somebody in that? Look at what he says right here. He says, be not afraid or be not dismayed for this great enemy, this great multitude. He says, don't be afraid. He says, the battle is not yours, but the battle is the Lord's. Now, I'll tell you what, that encourages me. There's things I can't fix. Maybe even some things Brother Steve can't fix. But I tell you what, the battle's the Lord's. Do all you know to do. Do all you have light to do. You pray to the Lord. You look to the Lord. But then you just give it to the Lord. 
May God bless you. We're glad you've been able to listen to this podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at 1030 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application.